Welcome to Ah Crap, a Hellboy podcast, the show dedicated to the half-demon hero, hosted by me, Mark David Christensen. And me, Kate Thompson. Hey, Kate. Hey! We had an earthquake. Yeah! <laughs> Last night. I was awake for it. You said you woke it, it woke you up? I was... I was asleep and I woke up to go to the bathroom and it might have been the earthquake that woke me up. But I definitely I think I like I I wouldn't have known there was an earthquake until this morning when people were like, did you feel that? Uh, Yeah, we it was the first time that Dot, our dog Dot, barked at an earthquake. Oh, man. How we long were, did it last? Uh, I mean, it probably lasted about, I'm going to guess off the top of my head, like 20 seconds. That's pretty long. It's like it, it really it long. When it, ugh. Like oh, we were in bed getting ready to be, go, go to bed. And like, I think we were locked, We're watching this show called Glow Up on Netflix, yeah. which is entertaining, but also slightly bad uh, competition <laughs> makeup stuff. And she started barking. But her bark was directed towards the the bedroom door. So my initial thought was like, is somebody fucking coming in our home? That's pretty scary, too. Yeah. So I went through that thought of scary. And then and then everything started to rumble. And at that point, I was like, there's a cart like you just have that feeling of like, is there is a battering rat like a uh, or one of those the big balls that knock down building. Oh, yeah. Like Uh, a wrecking ball or something. I was like, is there a wrecking ball and dumpster truck coming through into the the house? That sounds like a bad one, dude. That I was like, and then it was like, oh, this is an earthquake. Yeah. That sounds so, like a pretty rough one. Yeah, to be awake, I, I mean, I might have. I'm a deep sleeper. Once I'm out, I sort of stay asleep. So I probably yeah. might have been the same. Slept through it. I'm usually. I, I usually wake up at the smallest thing, but I. I don't know. I was like, must have just passed out. And like the last time we had the last earthquake we had was in the middle of the night, and that woke me up. My bed was like shaking. Um, this one, I don't know. Just passed out. Slept right through it, dude. Yeah, it was. It, it. I'm glad that I'm glad nothing fell off our walls or anything like that. Damn, so, especially on TV, right? Oh, that I would have been. Thank goodness, I think the. Uh, I would have cried we, for you. I would have been so sad if our we just got it mounted and I've never had a, a TV mount before. It's like yeah, great. man, it's so scary. That would have bummed me out, but it, yeah. it, it didn't didn't happen. And then uh, other than that, crazy news, rest in peace, RBG. Just got to say it. Dude, what a bummer. I, what a fucking bummer to start the, start our weekend with. Fucking sucks, dude. Like and I mean, you know, as a fucking country, we've we've we're not doing pretty good if if all of this stuff hinges on like one old cancer survivor, you know, like it just fucking sucks that she's dead and it sucks that, I don't know, by the time this gets fucking released, I wonder if, like, Republicans will have somebody that they're trying to push through already. They've been talking about it. I bet you they will. I mean, I'm no no doubt they're going to try to push somebody through that, you know? Ugh. Yeah, of course. Sadly, our country is about to get, I mean, I already think it's bad and it needs to get better, of course. Yeah. But it's a long, who knows what will be corrected in my lifetime at this point. <laughs> I mean, it I'm really trying to feels be optimistic, like some but... scary shit is looming. Like, you know, it's like, and her dying f- feels like that. It just feels like 
I don't uh, like I think this whole year has just worked to like draw people's make people more aware of like bad shit that's been happening in our country for a long time and it's like I don't know it just doesn't feel good it feels like it's getting worse or something I don't know yeah I I 100% agree I think it does feel like it's getting worse and as much as I want to try to be optimistic there is always that part of me that goes like I guess it's I try you know what I mean I'm not a full like this doesn't give me any relief but no, that it's, old it's saying of like distressing. you, you got to go through the darkness to get to the light and all that, and or like the you know like the the storm. The darkness could last for decades if they get yeah. a fucking six three Republican majority on the fucking yeah. Supreme Court, dude, and like, overrule a bunch. I of was stuff. like, they're gonna fucking overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, or oh, they're something. gonna go like, for it hard, I think. And it's if it's, it's if they tragic on there. It's fucking stupid. It's really stupid. Yeah, it is stupid because it's, it's, I mean, we just have to fight. But I mean, and I. People just still like Trump, dude. Like, I feel like Trump is probably going to get elected again. I don't know. I don't even want to say it out loud. Like, I, I feel like it's going to happen. Though. I'm counting on him getting elected. I mean, because I think no, no, no matter what, <sighs> no matter what comes out, this has become our political podcast. <laughs> um, the, I know. <laughs> no matter what comes out, the people that have already said yes to him. They, nothing's changing their minds. Yeah, it's nothing. not like nothing. you could these interviews coming out, the, everything. It does not change their minds. They're already set on him. And I'm just like, no, we're it's 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 uh, it's going to happen. That's how I see it, because and yeah. again, like, yeah, Biden isn't perfect. And but I'd prefer him because I think at least I fucking hate Biden. I'm going to go vote for him yeah, because I, I don't because no third party is going to be enough to fucking change the system right now and and he like i just need that because i feel at least at least that party will probably at least acknowledge the fires that are burning in the country and i don't even mean literal fires i mean fucking metaphorical societal fires problems that are happening yeah and it's just unfortunate and i mean i just don't i i don't believe that they're gonna none of them have turned or acknowledge that he is incompetent or like I mean they can't because they're just trying to I mean like do republic like uh, I mean so many republicans like hated him before he was elected initially I just don't understand like power power how this man being the face of your fucking party it's just fucking sad this shit's sad it's very sad country fucking sucks it does suck I mean right now it sucks there are things that we can still say that are good and you know, you can always say we have freedom and somebody will come back at us. Oh, well, then leave. And it's like, well, that's not how the world fucking works. You change what you have for the better. You don't fucking just bail on it. Yeah. Even though if I, could, if I could leave right now, I probably would have snagged the opportunity. Um, somebody, I saw something that was like somebody talking about that. Like, if you don't like it, you're free to leave. And then it costs like it costs like over two thousand dollars to like rescind your citizenship your american citizenship or something yeah yeah but i guess if you're you know if you're on another if you're on some island somewhere like i don't know yeah but i'm not that i'm not like some (laughs) political exile like nobody's the u.s isn't gonna give a fuck about me if i left and like disappeared on an island it's crazy it's crazy to talk like this i mean but then 
reading even reading this comic, it's like this didn't happen that long ago. Like, no, you know that a fucking dictator came to power and yeah, people. It's c- happening now. Like this shit fucking happens. Like, yeah, gay people are getting fucking scooped up in Europe, and it's fucking this. It's just yeah, I think that too world. many people try to distance our current times away from early 1900, like 19. And it's like the, all that so stuff recent. is so young as much as like that's why like people I think have started to point out that like civil rights pictures need to be published in their color because yeah, it's like a tactic in a sense or just we constantly yeah, keep putting it black and white. It. Trying to act like it's yeah. so far away. Like Emmett Till wouldn't even have been in his 70s yet and shit like that. Like it's you got to put this stuff into context and be like, this is all fucking recent. Yeah, it's it's fucking crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm glad you survived the I'm glad nothing fell off your wall, though, in the earthquake. I I, I almost wish I was awake to feel it, to just no, it, it, leave, it, it leaves you too you know. like it leaves you too like shook up yourself. So I'm glad you just didn't have to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. But okay, on a uh, <laughs> on a more happier note, um, on the today's episode, we got a segment for you. It's oh boy, email. Email. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this comes from Drew Campbell, and of course, the originator of Crappers which he'll address briefly in his email, which is wonderful. <laughs> so he, he says to us, Hey, crappers. First off, I got to say that I love it when our listeners, when other listeners, excuse me, uh, other listeners start their emails with, Hey, crappers. It feels like a tiny victory every time. Yes. It's your contribution to the pod, Drew. Yeah, that is all you. We thank well, you for it. One of one of many, <laughs> one of many things you know, with these emails. Whenever you email, like emailing, the emails are so great. I just like when people do it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It's cool. They they're the they keep this podcast. They 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 heighten the quality. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and he he says in regard to Lobster Johnson, the Iron Prometheus. I love getting an email that's very current about what we just finished. Yeah. I really enjoyed the story, but I can understand your criticisms. I agree that there is something missing from the story. The lobster is too inscrutable, too unrelatable as a main character, and the other characters in the story aren't quite even enough development to ground the story emotionally. Rest assured that the later Lobster Johnson stories definitely improve on this, at least in my opinion. Yeah, that's what I was hoping for, and... And he says, John Arcudi I'm sure takes he's over right. the... Yeah, I, I bet you definitely is right. Especially with John Arcudi. Uh, and he says, yeah. and he does say, Arcudi takes over the writing and as always does an excellent job. While the lobster remains shrouded in mystery, I would argue that he's the most mysterious character in the Mignolaverse. And I'm fine. I like mystery. I think mystery is good. Yeah. And then he says, there's a, a lot of... A lot of character development devoted to the supporting cast. And so in a way, they kind of become the more important characters, the focal point for why you care for the story about the stories. And then he says also, Tanchi Zanjic, uh, that's the artist uh, that he's referencing. I'm trying to say it phonetically because he he (laughs) kindly wrote it out for me. Uh, Tanchi uh, Zanokic, I hope I pronounced that even close to proper, 
uh, takes over the art for most of the stories, and this art is perfect for the world that the lobster inhabits. In my opinion, nice. And then he says, in my opinion, his rendition of the lobster is the definitive version. Cool. I can't wait I'm to see that. I'm very excited to read that. Yeah. yeah. Me too. Um, and again, I, as I said already, like I haven't read any of the other uh, lobster Johnson stories. This is the only one I, prior to us covering it, had ever read. So that would yeah. be good. He says, still, no spoilers. But even though the Iron Prometheus might seem just a footnote, it does set up a number of elements that become very important later on. Cool. I, I, and I'm cool. fine with that. I just wish it was done a little less clunky. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I feel like, yeah, that's what they that's what they accomplished. I'm sure they wanted to try to maintain some sort of mystery with the with Lobster Johnson. But it's like at a certain point, like we this has been a mysterious character already. So it's like I, I just look forward to them making more choices with the character and having him have his like motivations a little clearer because that's, you know, like mystique is interesting but it's like eventually i just want to figure it i want to hear the story i want to hear what his story is and what he wants yeah especially if he's a lead character it's like it's like the um it reminds me a lot about the hood the hood of or hood of justice from uh watchmen yeah. And what worked about him being shrouded in mystery in the comics is because he wasn't a central character. You only read about him in those excerpts that were true yeah. excerpts that um, Moore had written. And so it was like it worked. But like it is a, it is going to be difficult, I think, to put a main character front and center, but then go like, but he's a mystery. We can't tell you everything because you're like, OK. Right. So I think it's cool, though, that Drew says that, like, well, if they're going to keep him there, at least other characters become more of the focal point and the focus for our emotional grounding in the future stories. It seems. Yeah. We'll get there and we'll, we'll find out if we like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm so excited to read them. Yeah, me too. Uh, and this is cool. What he says, he says something that caught my attention was when Maman, Miman saw Miman saw, I hope I'm so bad at names. I, Hate myself. I gotcha. <laughs> Mansa says he wants his army of dragons to number 369. That's the same number as the number of Ogdru Hem that were created by the Ogdru Jihad. So it's a little cool thing. And I I mean, I, I read up a little bit on because I because I was so emotionally reactive to the Lobster Johnson story once we were <laughs> off mic from it for a couple of days. And a little bit after I, I had read this like story we're covering today, I went back and I was like, I'm going to just look up some of the things that I might have missed. What are certain background things? And I was like, oh, there is there is a very cool thing that Mignola is building and which he mentions is this yeah. email is like there is a lot of like greater world building going on even though that that's what I assumed it's like just he's trying to uh, make richer all of the stories that he's telling in BPRD and, and in Hellboy so I, I'm not like begrudging him for doing yeah. that it's just not my it's not my favorite story obviously because it's like well it's building yeah but there is a lot of cool stuff there's a there's thing that I read. I don't want to spoil anything, but like yeah, the Thoth and the Hyporian, and I'll just say the Black Goddess, 
who we technically yeah. have met, but we don't know. I assume there's a lot of cool stuff I, out there. I bought that puzzle last year. <laughs> oh yeah, the puzzle. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I've recognized that face from my puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I was too. And I was like, it was like Koshi the Deathless was on there, and I was like, oh, who's that? You know, just like finishing the puzzle, like not knowing. I was like, well, they made it to the puzzle. <laughs> So they must be pretty big characters. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be fun. <laughs> it's going to be a fun ride. All I know, I know that for sure. Go I'm excited. And he says, one last thing. The story combined with your discussion of the BPRD band reminded me that there's a dark ambient musician who goes by the name of Miman Sa. Oh, cool. He spells it. This this artist spells it M-E-M-N-O-N. Essay and then it's hold on. I'm gonna look, gonna it, look up it up as you're saying it. M E M N O N. Oh, N O N. Well, M E M M N O N. Meme non. Meme non. M E M N O N. And then space. What if we just kept saying M's and N's back and forth forever? I mean, and it goes on for two hours and I don't edit it at all. M N N? People are like, M &M. shut the fuck up. M and M. Do this later. <laughs> Text M &M. each other. <laughs> that makes Golden me go Ram like. Golden of the sun. Did you find it? This shit looks cool, dude. Oh, yeah. Great. He said. Like, I don't know if you could. Oh, that. great. I'll look it up too when I'm not. And I'm like, he says, it's some nice, dark, ominous music. And judging by the name and some of the song titles, he's definitely a Mignola fan. That's cool. I'm definitely going to check that out. I'm always looking for something, uh, some like D&D &D background music and stuff. Yeah, I love like music without vocals too to write to, especially, yeah. especially if I'm like working on something that has a different sort of tone. Sets like the I'm, mood. Yeah, sets the mood a little. Like I listen to a lot of uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox when I'm and, and uh, oh, Grand cool. Budapest when I write animation, which is weird. That's great. I think that's great. That little lightness to it. But this sounds like something, yeah. like, you know. If you're writing like a yeah, if you're writing a horror story or something, I'm excited to listen to it. Yeah, me too. Thank you for that suggestion, Drew. That's great. Yeah. Um, I love the connection it has directly with Mignola, so that's gonna be fun to explore. Oh yeah. And he says, "Catch you later. I love you, Drew. I love you too. <laughs> we love you too. Uh, thank you, Drew. Uh, I really appreciate you. That was a great email and a great way to." I love I love immediate feedback on something we just did too. There's something super yeah. cool and special about that. It is satisfying, yeah. Yeah. And it's just it makes you feel listened to, okay? It makes you feel listened to. <laughs> I'm validated. <laughs> uh but we have I honestly think I know we came a little bit out of this. I'm only bringing this up because I think we did come out of like sort of like a very like uh the story was only did didn't do much for us. I, I just want to say, as we walk into this story we're covering this week, the first two issues of it, I I blew through this because I loved it. It was really uh, cool. I just want to know for listeners that that's where I'm coming from. It's like a place that like I especially because I had voiced how I was a little concerned about these backstory and yeah. hope and, and wishing and like honestly scared they're going to be a little bit of like prequel Star Wars prequely. And one of our listeners, I can't remember which one in the email, said that they're not. And goddamn, they're right. <laughs> yeah, man. They are right. And um, I'll, 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 I'll voice more as we go through the issue because there are some other things that I want to say that were like yeah. highlights and like surprises I mean, for me. I thought me they were I really well written. Like it made me want to look up. I mean, I'll go through it in the credits. But yeah, the 
one of the co-writers, jo- uh, Joshua Dysart. Yeah, he wrote um, he wrote the uh, the the ship one, the or the pirate one. He's a great writer. Like he really it feels very natural, but he's also getting across a ton of information. And yeah, I just same. I also really enjoyed these so far. Great. Let's get into it. We're, we're going to discuss the first two issues of BPRD 1946. Um, and also, yeah, we have. I, I don't know if you noticed, Kate, if you have it up uh, uh, because the collect they went back in this collected edition. They have the weird uh, muted covers for the chapter headings. So yeah. I, atta- I attached from the Hellboy, um, wiki online. I attached the color covers to our outline just so we could discuss those two as we go. Cause it's like, the why color ones are really nice. Why are you eliminating Dave Stewart's colors when you publish those? Those are such a dumb choice. <laughs> and they're still like, they're like really toned. The colors are not like, I mean, you have some nice reds and stuff in the background, but the figures themselves are like very muted colors. Yeah. But I feel like those those ones that they do for the chapter headings, they don't feel like they feel like they just completely strip it of its color. Whereas like, yeah, they're muted. These yeah. the covers like we're talking. I mean, guess we're just already talking about the first cover <laughs> before we get to the credits. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. I'll say Well, I'll say the credits first. They're exciting. Uh, we'll talk about it. And then the credits are on there. It makes sense. But I, 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 yeah. I love because there's so much detail. I mean, Mignola's detail in the figures on the cover are very detailed. But the shadows and the mute, the muted colors still have like that. Dave Stewart has given are not one dimensional. There's so much depth. Oh yeah, not it. at all. And the fact that they decided to strip those out, it just felt like they put a filter over it, like that we would do on a fucking yeah. Instagram, like and on it just Photoshop. Yeah, and yeah, it flattened just make it. It black and white. flattens the image so much that totally. I'm just disappointed by that. But this cover is fucking cool. I like with broom in front, the soldier, then this insane Nazi with the cross, the swastika, of course. and the It's like a cross weapon. Yeah, wild. Um, and then a, a creature with that's chained up behind. Everything's so dynamic. It's like this, this cover is fucking, his covers are always great, Mignola's. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, you can get to the credits. <laughs> <laughs> there, I mean, yeah, it just looks really cool. Yeah, so as uh, written by Mike Mignola and Joshua Dysart, who I mentioned before, Illustrated by Paul uh, Azaceda. Paul Azaceda. Does that seem right? That seems right to me. All right, cool. Or Azaceda. I bet you it's Zeta. Anywho's colored by um, Nick Filardi, lettered by Clem Robbins, edited by Scott Alley. Boo! And it was published back Ew. between January and May of two thousand eight. Yeah, the and the yeah the art was really cool in this too. I think uh, Paul. Did a really cool job of like getting this like dark horror-y sort of feeling across, especially yes. in the opening of the first one. We have like a woman strapped down, like chained and huge fucking syringes and instruments and doctors around her. Like this will only hurt for a second. And then she starts like ripping up out of her chains and she's like, where's my family? Where's my family? She's crawling around like a vampire. We see Nazis, uh, like Nazi thugs with full like suit of armor, body armor. Yeah. And glowing, like glowing goggles and these sort of like imbued with some kind of power. These like spears with crosses on top, but also a swastika on the cross. 
So it's like, yes, as evil as you could make a cross, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they're making it, and their like armors got like the insi- like the cross insignia on every little piece, and they sort of like keep her at bay. And the Nazi doctors are sort of like, dear lord, I hope we know what we're doing, Oof. but it seems like they don't. Seems like you're already in in trouble. Yeah. Then we have so it's a uh, Berlin, 1946. It cuts to the streets. They're like filled with rubble. Or we have Professor Broom driving through the streets with some American soldiers, kind of just explaining that things, you know, like obviously like the like the war is over, but they're still dealing with a lot of gnarly shit. People are like starving and fighting amongst each other. And Russians went in killing German kids as like they called it reparations and like all this like Really rough shit. I like that they started it here because I think a lot of people go back and they do classic war, World War II stories and they yeah. they always place them in the wars because they're just like old men. It'll like, like end with the Americans showing up yeah. and then the movie's over. Yeah, Or like the war ends and the next thing you do is you cut to a fucking parade in fucking America and it's yeah. like you didn't you jumped over all the the shit that has to be reconstructed and rebuilt and the repercussions of warfare. Yeah. And it's like things are in ruin and they have to come in and sort shit out. They're basically like Broom and his uh, colleague, Dr. Howard Eaton, are here on behalf of the very young BPRD. It's like two years old at this point. And they're talking to a colonel that's there who's like kind of overseeing the American side of shit as they're like in Berlin, like piecing it back together, basically. And he's like, yeah, we're, we're here to study their, the Nazis obsession with the occult. We want to just go through and look at all their paperwork and shit. He's like, yeah, knock your socks off. But the Russians have already like pawed through all of this. And, uh, I can't spare you any like people to like any kind of clerks or anything to help you look through this paperwork, but I'll give you some soldiers because that's what we've got. Yeah. And it sort of gives you a fun, like little rundown of these five guys who serve, like have been together since D-Day. They survived all this horrible shit in the war. Some of them have died, but these are who's left. And they're like very begrudgingly there at all. Like they're like, (laughs) The war fucking, we're soldiers, we were here to fight, we did that, so we're going to hang out here, but we're not going to fucking help you, except for this one guy who uh, who was actually in East uh, Bromwich when Hellboy came through the portal. So he's like, okay, so I, I saw that, so I know you're pretty legit, and I also read and write German, so I'll help you. So they at least have like one of these five guys willing to help sort through all this paperwork. I love that character's description too. I mean, they're all like fun. The little things about them. Yeah. Uh, his specific specifically, which just is a fun way quickly, like defining him, I think in such a great way and why he oh, would yeah. volunteer is he's like, it says PFC, Tim Clark, good soldier, but loyal to his deadbeat friends to a fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. Everybody else is just kind of like, uh, bird eye Bob, suspected of shooting an unarmed Waffen SS POW, never proven. <laughs> First Sergeant May is looking at his file. You'd think this son of a bitch was bulletproof. Like, you know, yeah, very like fun soldier 
kind of stuff. I really like the one you just read. I really like it because yeah. it says he's bulletproof, meaning like he's seen a lot of shit, been through a lot. But the fact that the file calls him a son of a bitch is enough to be like, yeah, but he right. we don't really like him. <laughs> yeah, you get the feel. You you kind of get. They're gruff. They're they're like rough soldiers <laughs> who have been through World War Two. So they're like they're fucking grizzled, you know. Yeah. It's great. They're like, I'm not here to do paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the, no. the writing in this whole scene, the back and forth with all the soldiers is so good. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And I guess, you know, they'll, they'll, especially in the second issue, kind of come in to play. Like, they're more like his muscle when, when needed mm-hmm. at this point. It, show, it just cuts to weeks later, Broom's going up to this building that, is guarded by these Russian officers. They're like, go fuck yourself. But then somebody <laughs> peeks out and is like, no, no, she knows he's coming. So Broom basically doesn't have, like he walks into this huge fucking hangar, like an airplane hangar. And they've got all of these artifacts from around the world. You see like fucking Aztec or Mayan carvings and Egyptian carvings and statues and what basically looks like a ufo under a giant russian flag detail (laughs) because like i feel like the artifacts are what we expect when in hellboy and the mignola verse we've seen them from like page one back when when we saw broom as an older man in his own study we're like yeah Yeah. the, the artifacts with ancient things and gods and but to see a UFO, you're like, this is fucking wild. It's yeah. it's it's very funny. It's like I could see this is a dumb reference to another shitty movie, Crystal Skull again. But it's like I could see George Lucas <laughs> seeing this and going like, oh, I need to do that. I need to put oh, aliens. Nice. They're putting alien Mignola but aliens. I'm gonna put aliens. I gotta in rewatch. <laughs> I gotta rewatch Crystal Skull. I, I rewatched the prequel. Speaking, I mean, you mentioned the Star Wars prequels earlier. I watched those this week. Oh dear God! Um, I hope I'm glad you survived. I think I like Phantom Menace the best out of those three. I think struck story wise, it, it actually has a story, like a story that like yeah. follows a like like for that kind of movie it's like you need a traditional story and it falls the other two just feel like yeah a fucking mess <laughs> especially the second one is such a mess dude yeah, it's uh, let's not make this and it's just a star wars podcast uh, <laughs> not my favorite casting i know yeah okay anyway uh <laughs> <laughs> but i agree with you the ca- there's there's Anywho. only one person that was consistently good in that whole thing and that was ian mcgregor so, <laughs> you and McGregor, yeah. I mean, I liked, I liked, um, uh, uh, Natalie Portman. Uh, I just feel bad for her. She's so good, but she's just what she has to. They didn't work give her with. anything. She goes they from give her anything. She goes from rebel to like outspoken senator to a quiet wife. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's. Yeah, they really neuter her in the fucking third movie, man. It's such a bummer. It's a big time bummer. Because it doesn't make sense that she falls in love with this guy. He's such a wiener. Anywho. Or, yeah. Well, love shouldn't, <laughs> so- <laughs> love, just, love shouldn't change you. It's a, One spaceship and all of a sudden. Like men right, right, love right. softening women and it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Back to Anywho, this great. I love this. This Professor splash. Broom. This splash page is so fucking cool with all this. These it's artifacts. really great. I'm a huge fan of it. It helps you feel like the enormity of it too, where it's like he's been going through like Nazi um, like accounting files, <laughs> and meanwhile there's a warehouse full of uh, UFOs and like Egyptian artifacts and shit that the Russians are just 
withholding from the Americans. And so he comes in here to talk to the leader of like the they're like the Russian occult uh, people, like the people who are studying that shit. Yeah, like their BPRD, I guess, but we just don't have a name for it. Yeah, yeah, whatever their equivalent is. I think they say it at one point. Oh, but the I Union of then, Soviet uh, Socialist Republics or Studies present to you head of the arcane studies and esoteric teachings for the Union of Soviet so Socialist Republic. It's a very. It feels very. Official Russian and official. <laughs> yeah. The A-S-E-T. And basically the most important figure is the leader, uh, uh, the head of this group, uh, Vavara. And when Broom sees her, he kind of has like this inquisitive, like shocked sort of a look. And we see why, because she looks like this creepy little haunted doll of a girl and even has a little doll version of herself in this room and is like, Dolly wants to wants to serve you tea. I'm going to drink vodka because I'm fucking Russian. She's like slamming down shots of vodka. <laughs> I, 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 I want to so say that I knew of, I've known of this character, never read an issue with her. And when I first yeah. heard about her, I was like, very like, uh, what the fuck is that all about? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But I have to say, the way they introduced her right here won me over so fast. Be- it works. I mean, they they give her that she's just written well. Like, she's a gruff, you know, tough lady in the body of this little doll of a girl, basically. <laughs> and she's like, she's basically like, yeah, you want to come in here because you want all these files. I know why you really want files because you want to see if your young ward Hellboy is very bad uh, or like what his whole deal is and get some answers about him. You're not really going to get that from me. I'm, I'm not going to share anything really. I'll, I'll give you what I find about Hellboy, but that's it. Like other than that, I'm not helping you. Okay. And he's like, okay, great. I guess I'll go fuck myself. But like on a, like there's sort of, it's like a friendly enough exchange, but she's not like eager to help Broom with his, research she's like i'll send it to you if i come across anything i really Um, like the juxtaposition of like the coldness of this meeting color wise and the energy like both are very like like vavara's like like has energy to her more than broom who's being very stoic and clearly holding what he wants to his his emotives at close to his chest vavara's sort of just putting it out there but i love what the first mention of hellboy the cut to panel of flashing to him running around with chickens. <laughs> like, I think that's just such a cool juxtaposition of like them oh no, talking Dave, about. You froze. Oh, sorry. But I, I Wait, was just. Repeat what you said. Repeat what you said. I'm just talking about the juxtaposition. Sorry, sorry, you froze for a second. You're fine. I was just talking about the juxtaposition of like the image of their cold conversation and then the light that like yeah. a young Hellboy running around with chickens. It's just so I love right. I love the layout of that page and it's just well placed and I like she just calls him out and then like that's our image of Hellboy is like and I think that's through Broom we're not talking about I think a writer that's, that that underdeveloped characterization of a or of what how we think of Broom thinking of Hellboy would have like cut to him sort of in his first images of being unaware of what he is, right? Or a darkness behind it. But the love and this question if he is, even with Broom questioning if he's good or not, he still only sees goodness. 
And I think yeah, that's displayed you have in like this a, panel. a smiling little kid, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I, love I think it. that's a great point. I love it. I think it's I you can continue. I just think that's a great I love the contrast between that. And we'll, totally. and we'll get a I little totally more agree. of that too later on. Yeah. It's very sweet. You see him like and he uh, you can kind of see I, I think that Paul uh, Azaceda, the illustrator, I think he does a really great job with Broom's facial expressions in this in this exchange. You kind of yeah, you, you get the sense that, you know, we already know Broom's like a good guy and he's just worried and wants to like wants the best for this for this kid who came out of this portal, but he can't deny the fact that it, he came about from a fucking Nazi trying to, to bring about something that will help the end of the world. So it's like, well, I have to look into this or that it's irresponsible not to. Yeah. So it's weighing on him, I'm sure. And then later he's back with, with his buddy Howard. They're just looking through the rec- the, you know, limited records that they have. He's like, I see that there was all of this like liquid nitrogen delivered to this insane asylum. He does a little bit more looking into it. The insane, the insane asylum is closed. So the two of them go visit the place to try to like see why all of this, like why, like why they were spending all of this money here, basically. They go into this spooky ass insane asylum. There are sad, like angel, like little kid drawings of angels on the wall. Edward sees out of the corner of his eye this like haunting, spooky, like, um, figure we also see a pretty freshly eaten rat there they walk into an uh, like a sort of medical exam type room with like bloody handprints on everything and like straps on chairs and on gurneys and it, the whole scene is like really horrific and um just awful they can't find anything but they go down into this basement room and then hovering up just above them are these like distorted freaks basically wow. like the they like surely the uh, the victims of whatever nazi experiments were happening in this asylum i um, love this yeah. whole this whole sequence uh, building up to that um that cliffhanger to end the chapter yeah. because i think this is where i truly think like oh they're doing like things that you expect from horror but they're doing it at such a high level that it feels fresh. And I mean, we'll get a little more of those, those guys we ended with, but their, their design to me is so scary. Yeah. <laughs> like I love when a comic book in this medium makes me feel uncomfortable. And that's how the end of the sequence and their placement of them. Cause that first one we see in his, uh, Howard's corner of his eye. Then they're in that room with all the, the chairs and there's that one behind him. In the shadows, yeah. and then when they're in that that like spiral corridor, uh, then there, there's that one up top with the shadows that's like looking yeah, down dude. at them, and then the ones above them. Just that build is such like it's like oh you're nailing the horror element like yeah the the the, uh, the tension that they're building on the page is so it's uh, what's the word I'm looking for it's just like it's palpable yes you said it right <laughs> dude it's like it absolutely does like the like you said it's the kind of thing that even as a viewer of the comic you have to you are kind of searching the back of the panel in the same way that they're looking over their shoulder afraid that something's gonna jump out like we're afraid for them too it's a very spooky ending to this comic it's super effective and looks really cool and then the like 
creature people that are hiding from them in the shadows or just with like their distorted um like eyelids and lit like lips missing yeah like their skin is is like stretching across whatever's left stretched and taut skull yeah taut it's creepy and they're all like sticking to the ceiling like spiders basically yeah like they're able to like climb around woo woo it's it's uh, it's scary and i love it it's very scary it's (laughs) so cool and then this next cover for number two is so fucking cool yeah dude and i love it's like a this again is like i think i mean we might have mentioned this before in past issues of other uh other things we've covered but man i love a cover that like this that is directly related to the comic because we're going to we'll be informed about what this this cover means. Yeah. But also it's such a cool teaser. Like if you were like ex- subscribed to this book and you and you picked this up or you saw it on the wall or picked it up as you went, you'd be like, "What the f-? It, I'd get so excited because I think this cover yeah. really makes you go, "What is this?" Ooh, we're going to get more about Varvara. <laughs> Who the fuck are these three demons behind her? <laughs> yeah. Which, and she's like so striking in it too, like this stark white figure with a red hand in the very center, kind of uh, looming behind her are these like figures in blue, these demonic figures sinking back into the background, but like emerging just enough to be like, Oh, what's happening? But she doesn't seem to be afraid of them at all. Like it's a, you know, yeah. it kind of informs you a little bit more about this character, like you said. And I, I have to say, I've complained about how when they do the repeats, repeats of the covers, they don't put the logos in. And yeah. I think these two covers and possibly and pro- most likely all of the for 1946 covers are arguments for why you should, because they choose specific colors of the BPRD logo that go yeah. with Dave Stewart's colors, as well as the yeah. 1946 are are placed in different places. They're not just smacked on. And so to me, if like they did a BPRD reprinting, like a collection, which I would love, <laughs> uh, <laughs> if it didn't have those, I would be fine with it and cool. But I just think they're lacking what is so dynamic and special about them if you remove those those logos. Yeah, it's part of the it's part of the artist's thought process when they're making an image for a cover like that it's a i I think it's an important design element that you you hate not to see it because it's Mm -hmm. so interesting and and well executed yes it's the hell yeah uh, to the highest level i love those covers (laughs) i like these um i like the clothing that the demons have on too the sort of like russian um like traditional embroidered Mm -hmm. kind of things It, it looks really cool just like a nice way to keep it, you know, tied into the location or, or like the origin of the, these demons and stuff. It's really neat. Yeah, and I like this idea, and we've gotten a glimpse of it, of like especially Azeroth that came and talked to um, Hellboy. I yeah. love how these demons and all the demons we've possibly have seen, they, they're like royalty. They hold themselves up with such re- like regal presence. Yeah, they're like dignified. And I really like that about it. Yeah. <laughs> that I think that's a like there's something even more scary about them holding themselves up in that light versus like what we traditionally see is just like ah 
they're not like mindless. Yeah, they're not like easily tricked. They're they're like thinking, plotting demons, and it definitely makes them more for like a more formidable uh, potential foe. Yeah, and I like the little insert in the at least in the on this collected edition. It has like a one of those little Mignola insert squares. The little guy, the little demon, like holding his face like this and kind of crouched over in another sort of like traditional, I guess, traditional Russian sort of artistic, you know, version of it. Yeah. It's really cool. It's very cool. It just gets you excited for the issue. I love it. Opens uh, back in the same place, Berlin, 1946. We're still in the asylum with uh, Edward and Broom. And they're still taking a look around. And they're like, ah, oh, it's just you, the soldiers. They're like, sorry, sorry. We're just, you know, we're just here to back you up and all that stuff. What a fun horror moment on the page. Like a jump to, again, the idea of executing a jump scare in a comic seems one, it look, they make it look easy here, but I'm like, it seems like one of the hardest things to do. It's a pretty hard task. And they do it so well in yeah. four, in three panels, technically, of like the close up of Howard and Broom, the wide where the, all the creatures are above them with their twisted bodies. Some of them are on now ground floor level with them. And then that yeah. hand coming up behind, which you could tell it's a soldier, but you're still like, ah, that mother of God. <laughs> and to put right. that on the page, it's like shrouded in shadow. Or like maybe yeah. not the page turn itself. They could be next to each other, but it just flows right into that jump scare. <laughs> totally. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. And they're shining the flashlight like right in their faces, like very disorienting for the characters. Yeah. Um, I love how and, Broom doesn't scare too. You notice that? How yeah, he's screams. more like, he's alert, but he's not like, yeah, he doesn't like scream. And I think that's a cool thing, like behavior to, to put there to make it yeah. like, oh, we get, he'll... He'll be able to handle himself through all this His shit. His threshold for scary shit is pretty high. <laughs> I'd be screaming. <laughs> me too. I'd be screaming for like a full minute. Edward's like, you scared the hell out of me. And yeah, Broom is just kind of being a badass. Like, please remove that light from my eyes. <laughs> and you see these fi- creepy figures are still like surrounding them, but they still don't notice the, the like the soldiers aren't noticing them. Yeah. Um, it's very reminiscent of, to me, like the way that they're behind those soldiers right there. It's like they're making up the shit. They're like part of the shadows. It's very reminds yeah. me of aliens when they're walking through the corridors before the aliens reveal that they're they are the walls. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> it's very, very cool. They're just like all like, wow, this place sure is fucking creepy. Can we leave? And they just go to the bar and start drinking. And yeah, they're sort of just like discussing all of the crazy shit that's been happening in Berlin since the war. And I was a public defense, like the soldiers kind of giving like a little backstory for like what they were up to before. Broom sort of says the devil's advocate to which the soldier replies, well, if given the choice, I'd much rather defend the devil. It's true. And you see a little clip of like a little insert of Hellboy playing with the feathers that are coming off the chickens. And he's like smiling and cute. And Broom's like, yes, I know what you mean. And that placement of those two panels, how it's the center and they're mirroring each other is great. Yeah. Yeah, he's like look thinking about Hellboy and facing him like on the page that direction. Yeah, it's really cool. And Edward's like, "Hey, you got to talk to this bartender. He says he knows about somebody who escaped from the mental hospital before they 
fucked it all up. And yeah, this bartender's like, gotta go to his mom's house. He's there. He's alive, but he doesn't look so hot. So the soldiers and Broom and Edward roll up to this woman's farm. She's got a gun (laughs) and is shooting at them. They're like, I thought that they would have taken all of their guns. And this lady's like, stay the fuck away from my son. He's alive. Don't kill him. I know you're here to kill him. They're like, we just want to talk to him. They go into this barn. This poor little guy looks like one of the things that we've seen in the asylum. He's all like sallow with like blue skin. He's hanging out in this barn with all of these dead pigs around him. And his eyes are like reflective and glowing. And he has a big, big old brain. Broom's trying to just talk to him, but then he attacks one of the the soldiers and i love that he trans that transformation is so i like how it's so erupt the transformation it reminds me of like pumpkin head a little bit Ah, especially his elongation of his body he's creepy and yeah so he attacks one of the soldiers and like pulls him up into the rafters they start shooting and then the mom's getting upset she's like i knew you were here to kill him and then they just close up the barn with you know victim of these experiments the this guy who's basically a fucking vampire yeah by the looks of it uh, like a really fucked up bat-like vampire with like veiny skin and huge bat ears and crazy ass mouth, <laughs> and they close up the they close up the the barn and just like leave the the one soldier in there because he's gone basically. The mother like starts singing to her son, and he kind of sings back from inside the barn, and it's a pretty sad exchange. Yeah, sad and horrifying. <laughs> yeah, they don't um they don't translate the song, but you assume it's some kind of like sweet lullaby or something. And then as that's happening, the Russian crew shows up, the Russian like esoteric studies group or whatever, and Varvara is there, and she hops out. She's got her little dolly. She's creepy as fuck. She's like, oh, I'll go in there and talk to him and see what the deal is. And you hear screaming. And at first, of course, you think like Vivar's might be getting fucked up. But of the when the barn door opens, she emerges with blood on her hands. And she's like, she tells them there's a sealed off chamber of the uh, asylum basement hidden. That's where he was kept in the cold. He escaped through a surface drain pipe. That is all I could get from him before accident. And then Broom goes in and this guy's completely fucked up. This vampire is like ripped apart. <laughs> and the mom is like super upset. What's left of the vampire's arm has a number on it, which is, of course, reminiscent of, like, people who are taken to concentration camps. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he's 112. And, yeah, so Broom and Vivar are kind of talking about the asylum. And they're, like, upset. Like, the soldiers are upset. They lost somebody. You got a lot of explaining to do. Um, Our soldier's in there. And then you see the soldier, and he's already fully, like, vamped out. Yeah. Has, like... Of a gross grin, his head is like tilted completely, almost completely upside down. So the other soldiers have to blast him and, you know, just take him out because he's already transforming into some undead, unholy creature. Um, (laughs) And Vivara's like energy through this whole thing, like she skips up to them. And then when they kill him, when they finally, when they finally like, the only time she's like very like still is when she, after she comes out with a bloody hand. Or bl- yeah. a bloody arm. It's like past her elbow. Right, her whole arm, yeah. <laughs> and when, she, when they kill that professor, when they kill the officer, they're like, she's cl- like, puts her, claps her hands together and is yeah, so. Yeah, she looks like she's giddy. She's like, oh, it's going to be 
fun, so much good fun. It's just like, oh man, you ride with me, Professor. You are Come on, twisted. <laughs> Meanwhile, the fucking Russian soldiers are burning this whole barn down. They're like, see you later, lady. Sorry, we killed what was left of your son and burned down your barn. Just another fucking casualty of war, sort of a thing. Where they're like, bye. And then Broom's like, hey, what's your fucking deal? You're really weird. <laughs> and Vivara. That's the best way to about, put, put what he's asking, but he does it more politely. <laughs> yeah, he does it really politely. Um, I need answers, Vivara. You can't keep me in the dark if you want me to work with you. So she's like, okay. So the, the Nazis were talking to Vladimir Gorescu, the vampire who Broom is already aware of. They called the project Vampire Storm and basically like, Himmler was like, oh, Hitler, you should go meet with Gurescu and have a vampire army. And even Hitler was like, we would never be able to control these guys. They're too powerful and stuff, so we shouldn't do it. So they had all of the the vampire wives destroyed, which is who we saw in the first issue, the very opening, like, where's my family? Yeah. And which which we yeah. which is direct connection to Wake the Devil. Where people believe that Gurescu is supposed to be dead, but he is not. But all the yeah. other vampires were. So wild. I like the connection. So Yeah. And they, they extracted all of the blood from the one vampire wife, Anna. They don't know where the blood is. Uh, <laughs> so they don't know what happened to that tons of vampire blood that they got. So where could it be? We don't know. And, and then Broom's like, okay, well, you are? Ah, that question. I'll tell you a story, yeah. And like, basically, this Russian czar wanted Swedish land. And so they're looking for ways to become victorious in battle. And they come across this Mongolian tome and there's like this demon trinity who had helped uh, Asians in battle for a long time. And so they summoned these beasts. And after the war passed, the demon came to collect his price from Peter. For as you know, Professor, every bridge has a toll. So the first demon took lives of all of Peter's future sons so that his name could not live on. The second demon took Peter's heart so cruelty would command his hand and pain would be brought to all who he came in contact with. The third demon, who was meant to take Peter's soul, the third demon walked amongst glistening meat of battlefield and witnessed the, po the great poetry in the world. So it went that the third demon chose to stay. And then it, it has this great like panel to panel change where like on the bottom of this page, you see the demon's like goat-like eyes with the sort of horizontal goat-like pupils, you know? Yeah. And then it cuts to her uh, her eyes, which are, of course, mirroring that because she is the third demon. So, yeah, it's like I just thought the violent world was so cool and great, so I'm sticking around. <laughs> so, pretty cool story, huh? Oh, hey, there's our destination. We're back at the asylum. And that's where the second one ends. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's so... So, like, Broom's like, okay, great. Um, this demon's a little scarier than the one that I have hanging out at home. <laughs> yeah, and I love her. Again, Her the playfulness that they're writing into her is so fun. Like, even the idea that the way this story ends or this chapter ends is when she's like, ah, look, there, it's beautiful. But then you have already been here, haven't you, Professor? In the daylight. Like, in the daylight. But we get to see, like, now we get to see so what it's spooky. like at night. <laughs> yeah, but like, we're going to have such a great time going in here with, like, hordes of vampire freaks. Probably uh, going to be like, oh, you know, I'm sure Anna, the vampire wife's blood is being pumped into 
maniacs in the uh, yeah. in the insane asylum or whatever. It's yeah. They're so it's bad. It's bad news. Sad news. <laughs> bad news. Sad news. It's. Oh, I love it. Yeah, such a page turner, you know. Really? I think that's I think that's a testament to the artist and Joshua's contributions to the the smoothness of this. I think Mignola's totally. world building is clearly there. There's things that I think he I like I think what Mignola really and I, I normally don't touch on the sketchbooks until the very end, but I want to I want to touch on some of them in this. Because oh, I, sure. Let me I, th- I think in the first thing when he starts to, when he's working with the artist, he just, I think his contributions a lot are when he, when he's doing his best work in which we know he's evolved to is him sort of stripping away and getting right to the point. And I think that's what one, this storyline yeah. shows is that there's really, it's simple, but there's a lot to it. Like these issues are longer. They're a lot. They feel longer than some of the yeah. past issues. They have a lot to them, but they're presented. They're presented in such a minimal information way. Like they give us what we need and then the rest, they, they, I don't know. It's on the page, but they're not like, like Lobster Johnson. I'm it's just cause it was last one we read. Even some of the dialogue felt like on top of each other And this. I feel like even the exposition feels eloquent or just balanced so well. And I, and the first thing that I want to point out is like, you get to see Paul's first design of like the the Nazis we only get to see once that are all garbed up and have glowing crosses. Yeah. His design works, but you just see Mignolo's contribution of like, hey, I just would like it to be, he's like, my version's just a little more low tech. Just simplify it. So there's yeah. less. And I think that feels like a good contribution versus like in the notes of the last one on Prometheus, it was almost like Mignolo's like, I brought in another artist. Like it felt like, and that's yeah. me inferring a lot. I get that, but it just feels like there's a lot of fun contribution of a team effort in this book that I love. Totally. I, I think is present on the page, and like the Varvara stuff is just really cool. You get to see a little bit of his Otto, uh, which is the first vampire that we fully get to see the little boy, and like essentially they say that Paul's pencils were pretty much go as soon as he drew him <laughs> yeah and then when we got to the and then the, all the stuff about the demons is very cool because it's like paul was going very like very like specific culturally specific and mignola was like like let's just let's make it so and i love this part of the world building he's like instead of making the demons sort of like have references to other cultures he's like they should have their own and i think that's so cool yeah. <laughs> like the idea that that like they have their own history, their own cultural references, and it makes them. I yeah. think one. I mean, it may, the world building is opening wide open and through the, even the demons, but just I think it makes them scarier. <laughs> it makes totally. it makes the other side of like the world these the 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 hell in this Mignolaverse so much more vast and fascinating and scary than what we normally get in this sort of genre. It makes humanity seem like secondary to them, like just more disposable to them because it's like, oh, I'm not an aspect of humanity's culture. Yeah. I'm my own being in my own plane of existence. And we don't, we don't give that many fucks about you guys, except for the fact that like maybe provide us with souls that we eat or some shit, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I love it. Uh, Any, anything that caught your eye in the sketchbooks or any favorite panels or moments from these first two chapters? 
Okay. Just having like uh, like the vampire wife in the very first issue sort of seem you you like feel very sympathetic to her and then revealing that she's a vampire like all that whole sequence was really cool and I kind of like her crawling towards them like animalistically yeah I think that again we kind of talked about it for a while but the the panels where they're walking through the asylum at first where it's like Ed and Broom walking through and getting stalked by creepy vampire like beings yeah uh, I thought that was the shit yeah. How about you? I mean, I have to agree with all of that because what I specifically like and I realized going through this again, the vampire um, wife, and I love it because we never come back to it, but it so informs us as the readers of like what we, uh, the uh, dramatic irony is so well played in here of like, we know that yeah. Broom is walking into something worse than he imagined. And they and they play with that uh, that irony because even meeting with Varvara, she's like, you're not really here for this. You're here for to find out about your ward. And as a reader, you're like, but they're going to fucking bump into this thing. And then, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's just well played. I <laughs> totally throughout this whole thing in that sense of like, when is that going to come into play? And I'm like, oh, but it's in the shadows. But when are they going to finally realize like, uh, and, and a character like Broom, who's not flinching at any of this, it keeps us like on edge as other, like we're sort of the soldiers, you could say of like, why aren't you fucking freaking out? <laughs> yeah. Um, so overall, I mean, that, that is, I mean, there's, I mean, I love the panel of Vavara with her bloody arm. I think that panel is brilliant. It's just extremely cool. Says so much about her. And I don't. I really know if I have a favorite because this falls into those one of those things where I think there's not a puzzle piece out of place. Everything seems to flow so well that I can't. Totally. It's hard to pull one out because I'm like, well, that's there for a reason, and those so is that, and nothing, nothing is there. Even the one like this dramatic splash page we get of the of the hangar full of stuff is such based in story. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, yeah, it's hard. You can't really like separate them, but in a good way, like it all feels so unified. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it's I just, great. it I is love great. It. And I can't wait to get through the rest of it. Cause I think the story is truly the genre is a genre that somatically I stay away from because it's scary or it's, it, ends up being empty. And this is one of those examples where I'm like, oh, horror, when when done well, horror is so, it's such like a genre that's underused for good storytelling. Or like, yeah. it is, it's overused, but not, not the storytelling seems a lot of times to lack from it. And this... It's not always like executed super well. But they are, this team, this team is killing it for me. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best thing I could say. Totally. And I guess it's it's hard, too. It's like you have this backdrop of World War II, like one of the most violent, horrific events to happen to mankind. And it's like, how are we going to make this look more like creepier and add another layer that makes it even worse? You know, like adding these like supernatural elements and. Yeah, but but it but it does work well. Like I guess in a in a time when some people would go to any length to gain power, it like makes sense that people would try to draw from the supernatural and from like things that are considered the ultimate evil. It it's 
it's like horrible and but it makes sense yeah I, I'm with I'm with you, and I think it's just so smart of Mignola and these storytellers to choose, and I, I want to include uh, Dreisart in there as well, Joshua. The idea of being able to talk about less about because I think we get story we're overrun. It's why I always say like we have a year where there's no movie about World War II because yeah, no one's saying something new about it. But I love it. Yeah. They've told a story that's about World War II. But it's mostly about the repercussions of the end, like what comes after. Right. And I think that's what this is all about is like there is like a, 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 I'd have to be a better scholar and a historian to be like, they're talking about the what like the repercussions of what is lasting after World War II and less about yeah. inside the war, which we normally typically get. Right, because life continues on after that and you have to deal with the fucking horrors that you brought in trying to win a war. It's really, it's super interesting and just super well done. Yeah. I can't wait to read the next ones. Yeah. The lasting repercussions. And I, yeah, I agree. I can't wait till the next one. It's great stuff. That's all I can say. And we're, I'm, I'm thrilled to be reading this. <laughs> Hell yeah. And we, you know, and also we're jumping right into like the suggestion segment. I actually, as I started to read this, I was like, I have to, there's some stuff I need to watch and I would love yeah. for people to watch it with me. Um, it made me think as we were reading it and they showed the, the one thing I, I thought of when I was watching or reading it, when they introduced all the soldiers, I was like, oh, I love this. This is like Inglorious Bastards, which I love. But then I yeah. was like, I've never watched The Dirty Dozen. I need. Oh, yeah. And I started watching it. And the only reason I didn't finish it last night is just because I got tired and I had some allergy issues I had to deal with. But I'm like halfway through it. I'm loving Dirty Dozen. Can't wait to talk about it when I finish it. And other people should watch the movie. And then I was like, I need to watch Overlord. I heard about Overlord. Overlord. It's a movie that's like a, I don't, I don't know if it's vampires, zombies. Don't spoil it for me if you've seen it. But it's a movie that's fairly new <laughs> no. or from last year or the year before. And it's about and taking place oh, cool. in World War II. And people dealing with monsters. And I was like, I need to watch these movies because 1946 seems to be in the same vein. Those are my suggestions because I'm watching them. (laughs) Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I'm going to write it down, too. I wonder where I can find it. Overlord is on like a Hulu, I think, or one of those. Oh, sweet. It's on something streaming. So I'm going to watch it there. Uh, So check that out. And then we'll we'll compare notes and thoughts on it. That sounds great. Such a fan of this comic book. We want to hear from all of you out there, listeners. Unless, Kate, did you have anything to suggest? Oh, so, well, this isn't really... I haven't really gotten a good a chance to totally, like, explore every aspect of this website, but there's this... I just learned about this site called Cherry Picks that's basically, like, Rotten Tomatoes, but for, like, pretty much exclusively with reviews by women or by, like female identifying people and it's like so like uh i listened to an interview with the people who run the site and it was such an interesting thing like i never gave it too much thought where it's like even the these like like there are like famous movie reviewers that sort of have so much influence over whether somebody goes to see a movie or not and a lot of them are are male it's like a overwhelmingly male people talking about that shit. And it's kind of like just it's just like interesting to have the uh, like a an equivalent of Rotten Tomatoes, but specifically by women like I I, want to explore the page a little bit more. I haven't really gotten a chance to like check every aspect of it. But yeah, everybody go check that shit out because 
It's important. Yeah, it's important. I feel like the, I mean, obviously like the internet has sort of made it so you can get your movie reviews from whoever you fucking right. want. Like you don't have to go to like the newspaper to fucking read a movie review. But like when I was a kid, that's all I read. Like I would go read in, you know, the intelligencer like movie reviews and base uh, whether I saw a movie or not on that. You know, nowadays you can go to like Letterboxd and have like some nerd who likes the exact same shit as yeah. you tell you like, oh, this was good and this wasn't. But I thought that specifically like just this one being run by women. I thought I, I, I think just that's thought a was great cool perspective. Idea. I mean, Brie Larson called that out of like, and she got a bunch of shit for it because people are dumb. Pretty much they tried to twist her words into saying that like no men should be allowed to like be critics. And she's like, all she was trying to point out is like the percentage is bad. Like we need, yeah. we need different voices that are not white male and male in general. And in a sense telling yeah. us critiquing it's like not every movies. movie is made for white men necessarily. So it's like you, uh, some, you might not get certain elements that, or like themes that this, that the movie's trying to relay uh, or it might just not resonate. Like you might understand it on an intellectual level, but it might not resonate yeah. with you emotionally because it's just not aimed at you or, you know, directed at you. So, um, so it's like, yeah, this seems like a necessary thing. Also, there should be just different types of critics that even if they're not talking about the thing that was aimed for them, I want to hear their take. Like when a Scorsese totally. movie comes out, I'm using Scorsese because I think he's like, one of those where the, a lot of male, uh, I'm in there. I love Scorsese, but he does, he, he seems to be yeah. a very, I'm a man and I gotta like Scorsese. And, yeah. but you want to hear other perspectives on that director because I don't, yeah. and I don't think, I think people also think they're like, oh, if it's a female, she won't like it. It's like, that's bullshit. Because if they're yeah. actually a grand, a great director, their story will have things for them to talk about. So shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I want to hear that perspective. Yeah. I mean, there's all that stuff about like the more specific your story is, the more relatable and universal the it ends up being. You know, it's like an argument for like having more diversity in movies and in all of art, basically, where it's like, uh, uh, you know, like I'm not Korean, but Parasite resonated with me in a lot of ways. You yes. know, like it's that kind of shit where it's like. Yeah, you need obviously to hear these other voices or else you're just getting this one curated version of movies that is basically there to sell you popcorn. I don't know. Or sell something, you know? Yeah, I agree. Anyway, check out Cherry Picks. I love Pizza. that. I think that's great. <laughs> I'm going to do that myself. I love yeah. that. Hell great. yeah. And I'll watch Overlord. I'm going to watch it too and we'll talk about it. Great. Yeah. We want to hear from you listeners. All your thoughts on the um, BPRD 1946 or anything else that we cover in this um, episode or future or past episodes. We want to hear from you. Yeah. So you can reach out to us um, at ahcrapahellboypodcast at gmail.com. As well as you can follow us on social media, two platforms. That is Twitter and Instagram. Twitter, we are Aw Crap uh, uh, Hellboy on Twitter and Aw Crap a Hellboy Podcast on Instagram. Um, you can comment on anything we post or message us there. We typically don't cover any of that on the, on the podcast, but we do communicate back with you. Um, if you do want to be heard or uh, like we did today, reading an email or 
want us to listen to what you got to share, which we love, do email us again at awcrapihellboypodcast at gmail.com. And if you could please um, go out of your way to go onto Apple Podcasts slash iTunes and give us a five-star review. Um, And if your five-star review starts with the word boom, we will read your review right here on the show and give you a big shout out and praise you. We call that a boom review. Yeah. So give us a boom review. And if you have a platform that allows you just to rate and review us, please do so. Um, that will bring more listeners um, to the show, which we appreciate. But that is it. Super excited <laughs> for uh, how much I love this this story of BPRD 1946. Can't uh, look forward to covering the next story um, issues with you, Kate. Um, but you listeners, thank you again for listening and Remember, we love you. And my hoopla's going slow because my connection's weird. Okay, here we go. Have you ever encountered an unexplained hairy bipedal hominid in the woods? Have you received telepathic messages from an unidentified aerial phenomenon? If so, then you need to listen to Bigfoot Collectors Club. I'm Michael McMillan. And I'm Bryce Johnson. And together with super producer... Riley Bray. We make up the Bigfoot Collectors Club. That's right. Every week we talk to actors, comedians, writers, and paranormal experts about their personal paranormal histories and share stories of high strangeness. Like the time when we talked to Craig Ferguson about the Loch Ness Monster and when a sea witch told him he had raven magic. Or the time I asked Pitch Perfect's Anna Camp her opinion on cattle mutilations. Past guests have included Rachel Bloom, Jen Kirkman, Paul F. Tompkins, Bobcat Goldthwait, and more. So if you've ever been abducted alongside five reindeer by an alien with grills for hands or witnessed Bigfoot crawl out of an interdimensional portal, don't laugh, happens all the time, then check out Bigfoot Collectors Club on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Bigfoot Bigfoot Collectors Collectors Club, you're here to believe believe us. Wait, is that how it goes? Campfire.